Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about the 1991 thriller. Horror? Thriller? Frailty. You the agent in charge of the case? That's right. What can I do for you? I'm here because I can't live with what I know anymore. Listen, this may sound a little bit crazy, but I know who the God's Hand Killer is. What makes you think that? You hadn't even heard me out yet, and already you doubt me. They were raised to obey their father. Go to see Homer. To love him. To trust him. Night, boys. Sleep tight. Don't let those bed bugs bite. Until... Wake up. I've got something to tell you. What's wrong? There are demons among us. I can see the demons while other people can. I'm scared, Dad. Nothing that crazy could be real. The angel told me that God would be sending weapons. Maybe you just dreamed it. Maybe you're not right in the head. God will be sending a list of the first seven demons. These are people's names. And they'll look like people. They're not. Dad made up this whole thing. Do you understand? Well, if it has to be done, it has to be done. Is that true? Why would I make it up? It's all a big lie. I don't want to run away. You are hiding something from me. What is it you think I'm hiding? When I lay my hands on them, I'll reveal them for what they truly are. I got a pretty good idea of them bodies are. I'll tell. Craziest thing I've heard in a long time. Ah! Check the Rose Garden. I don't believe a word of it. But it's true. Bill Paxton. Those were demons. Why can't you see that? Matthew McConaughey. Tell me the truth. Sometimes truth defies reason. You're crazy! Only demons should fear me. You're not a demon, are you? Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. Uh, it's a it's a 2001. Oh, never mind. Um, oh, only nine years off. Yeah, that's okay. Um, a mysterious man arrives at the offices of an FBI agent and recounts his childhood, how his religious fanatic father received visions telling him to destroy people who were demons. And that it was... Uh, it stars Bill Paxton, and he was also the director of it. And it also stars Matthew McConaughey. Um, and I think we should say this is one that it's a, it's a mist, it's kind of a mystery thriller horror thing. And if you have not seen this, I don't really think we can talk about it without spoiling it. So if it's something that you are interested in, I would say just go into it blind and you know come back and and listen to this later I, if you I, like. And I double that because I, you had said to me, have you ever seen it? I said, no. And you said, don't watch the trailer. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah. So I went into it. I knew Bill Paxton was in it and mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey was in it. But other than that, I knew nothing. I think I knew that Bill Paxton directed as well. Mm-hmm. But that's as much as I knew. And I was glad watching it that I didn't know any more than that. Yeah. I'm going to drop the audio of the trailer in when we're done recording here. I haven't even watched the trailer. I don't know. Does that spoil it? Does that ruin it? Even playing the, I don't know. I I didn't watch the the trailer, but I just knew it. And the funny thing is we can get to this later, but I saw this in the theater when it originally came out and had not seen it since then. And I couldn't remember how it ended. So it was kind of a surprise for me too. So 
but yeah, I don't know how much it, but, but I definitely think this is a good movie to just go into, not know much about it, you know, absolutely. And just kind of go with it. That being said, we're going to talk all about it. So if that sounds interesting and exciting to you, I can't believe I'm going to say this, please uh, don't turn us off. Listen to a different episode. Yeah. <laughs> and then watch Frailty and come back and we'll talk all about it. Cause that's what we're about to do right now. So I thought this movie was bonkers. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of kept getting more bonkers. Have you ever seen uh, Bill Paxton in Big Love, the HBO series? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wasn't a regular viewer of it, but I watched a handful of episodes. But that's that this character of his made me think of that because it's before things get weird. Um, he's a single dad, blue collar guy raising two boys, and he's sort of. Um, it's almost, I mean, it's set in the seventies at the time when this happens, the, 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 cause the Matthew McConaughey character is one of the sons all grown up now. So the, the Bill Paxton stuff is flashback stuff to the seventies, but it was, it was really like a fifties poster uh, advertisement of a dad, like, mm-hmm. you know, firm, but fair, loving, took an, a real interest in his boys, you know, um, he offered to help one of the kids with his homework, you know, never said the wrong thing, like clearly loved his two sons and they clearly loved him. And it was idyllic. Didn't you think? And I just yeah. think of um, the Bill Paxton character in big love, because here's a guy who is a polygamist um, has three wives uh, children i think by at least two of the wives if not three uh and and runs like a home depot basically runs like a chain of of house fix it up your house stores mm-hmm. he's just the the picture image of loving husband dutiful father you know um, engaged community member, local businessman on the town council, you know, and then the underbelly of that show is that polygamy is illegal and it's not even, it's not accepted by the mainstream um, Mormon church that he's a member of either, but it's not like he murders people in that one to get ahead. It's just, he believes in a way of life that he's keeping a secret from everybody else. Um, and and it's the same, like, I don't have a Bill Paxton impersonation, but it's that same slow, deliberate, you know, really earnest, like Bill Paxton is just a naturally likable guy. You know, he, he's got an open face and sincere, honest eyes. So oh, we're going to get through this, buddy. You know, you just, you gotta, you know, have courage in your heart. And <laughs> you're just kind of like, man, who doesn't like Bill Paxton? So of course, in this one. He's a killer, but what's amazing to me about this performance and, and sort of perfect for Bill Paxton, a a little too perfect. um, He's nuts. Dot, dot, dot question mark. Is he, but he, you know, he believes that he's had a vision from God that God will, an angel will show him who the demons are living amongst us. And his task is to destroy the demons. So he starts abducting and killing people and including his two young sons in it. And I mean, his sons are like 
eight and 11, maybe, right? Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, eight and 12. And it, those scenes are really upsetting. <laughs> They're really upsetting. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I know it's upsetting, buddy, but that we didn't just kill a person. We destroyed a demon. You know? <laughs> and you're just like, oh, oh, oh boy. And then there's this whole superstructure of the movie with McConaughey comes walking into the FBI uh, and it starts sort of spilling his guts because they're hunting a serial killer and they've dug up some bodies. And uh, and he's like, I know who it is. It's my brother. So it's framed. There's a lot of exposition and voiceover, and that's the framing device for a movie that is mostly flashback. And then at the end comes back to present day and sort of ices the cake. Um, anyway, I, I'm doing a lot of talking. What's your you, what was your hot take on it? Yeah. So um, as I said, I saw this when it originally was in the theater and I didn't remember a whole lot about it because it's been literally 20 years since, it, you know, since I saw it and, you know, had not revisited it on HBO or anything like that. Oh, and by the way, this is on HBO Max. So if you have HBO Max, yeah, you're good to go watch it for free. Don't yeah, I don't have to pay for it. Um, I had remembered this being, I, I remember the gist of it that, uh, that, you know, it starts with McConaughey going into this FBI uh, agent who's played by Powers Booth, um, who, who gives a good performance. And I think McConaughey is good as well. Yep. Um, and I had remembered, I had remembered that. And, and the only other thing really that I remembered was that, the that the bill paxton character was you know he said he saw these visions from god and that some people are demons and he's making that you know the the angel or god or whatever is telling him what people to kill you know and he has this list and so that was kind of all that i remembered i remembered it as you said it's upsetting i remember it being more upsetting than than what it is um i think overall this movie is i enjoyed it i think it's good i think the um, the McConaughey parts play a little bit better than the, the Paxton and the kid parts, which is, as you said, you know, that's the big chunk of the movie. Um, we talk about this a lot on this show, kid actors, and these kid actors are okay. You know, they're not, they're not horrible. They're, they're definitely not horrible. They're fine. They tell the story. Yeah. I wasn't rolling my eyes being like, Oh, where'd you find these kids? Right. But it's not nobody was, you know, handing out awards. Right. And that was what I would say a is a lot of heavy lifting acting wise. Frankly, they really are. They're, they're asked to do a lot of heavy lifting. They have to cry. And, you know, there's a lot of emotion. Yeah, I mean, the um, situation is complicated. Like, yeah. You're loving your father, but having your dad ask you to do this, literally murder people is extreme. And I don't know how. I don't know how I would pull that off, frankly, at almost 50, but, yeah. you know, I would do research and I have enough life experience to like kind of tape something together. But uh, for a kid who is probably 12 years old or maybe 13 or 14 playing a couple of years younger, how you'd have any frame of reference. Of no, hard to, that's a, that's a big ask, but yeah. you know, there's some scenes that, you know, are supposed to be hitting you in the gut and you're kind of like, just like, I mean, I, telling the story but i'm not feeling it and even paxton i feel and like you said it's it's interesting you know he is such a likable guy 
And as you said, the father, he's this very loving father. Um, and, uh, you know, he's stern with them at, at times because especially the older boy is just like the dad is nuts and is, is pushing back and, uh, you know, things kind of, this is what's dad. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're killing people. These aren't demons, you know. This is and the 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 littler boy, and it's sad because this is how you would imagine a child that age probably would behave. Hey, my dad told me these people that are demons, and so they're demons, you know. Um, but the some of the scenes with so, uh, but the little kid also says, "I see it too." Like right when he puts his hands on him lays hands on him he can they'll reveal themselves as demons and they do that the 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 lens of the camera shows us that bill paxton is having an experience right mm -hmm. he puts hands on him, he's, you know he's seeing <laughs> but then we see it from we see it from the older sons and nothing's happening right mm -hmm. I mean, he's sort of convulsing and the other person is sort of screaming in terror as you would right if this guy the psycho you, has kidnapped you right? you know tied you up and with stuff. an axe you'd be you know soiling your pants um so so for most of the thing we're seeing it through the older kid's eyes which is like the dad is nuts has had some sort of a psychotic break right mm -hmm. and the younger the younger brother is just going along with it and he says i see it too and you know and the older brother's like you're just you know you're just brainwashed like you don't really nothing is happening he's like no no i really <clears> see <throat> stop it you know and they have a brother argument but but they do plant that seed yeah and so i would say maybe the biggest criticism that i have of the film is that Paxton in those scenes, you know, he puts his hand on the person and it's like that, you know, that's when he's, he realizes that they're demons and that comes off kind of corny, you know, um, in, in those scenes I, I felt, uh, but I don't know. So should we, should we get into the ending now or, or, sure, because here uh, we are. Um, so, so you throughout the film, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but throughout the film, you are, you know, you're not, we never see demons or anything like that. Right. Uh, you know, they just look like people. And so through, throughout the film, uh, until the very end, as the, as the viewer, you're left to wonder, does this guy just have a brain tumor or something? You know, uh, like you said, some kind of a psychotic break, or is there a supernatural element to this? Otherwise, pretty even keel. Like yeah, he never, yeah. Going to work or stops bathing himself or stops taking care of his sons. In fact, after the first thing, things get quiet for a while. And it's almost like he wakes the boys up in the middle of the night and tells them he had this vision and lays it all out for them. And they go to bed and in the morning they wake up and it's so business as usual that the older son, um, who we believe McConaughey is McConaughey has told the FBI agent that he's actually the older son. So as we go through this, we're looking at the older son and it's POV, the older son, that that's McConaughey. Turns out that there's a flippity flop on that. That's part of the twist at the end. But so he's like, they're going to school and there's all this 
I think pretty effective stuff of him being like, did I, was that just a crazy dream? Like that was so crazy and nobody's act. And then, so he drops him off at school. He's like, all right, boys have a good day. And they're like, okay, bye dad. And he's like, remember, don't tell anybody about what I told you last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the younger kid gets, I won't dad. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting watching it because as you said, in, in no other way does he ever act like a person who has lost their mind, you know? No, he just, he, you know, he swears up and down. It's just what he describes is so, and he says it. So I had a vision an angel visited me, you know, and told me that we need to do these things. And I've got, I'm on a mission from God and he'll give me the names and I'll write down the names. And those are the people we have to destroy the demons, not kill people. They're not people, they're demons. We got to kill the people. And they're the list of names that they get is kind of all over the board. The first one's a nurse, and then the other one's just some older guy in a parking lot. It's not like it all fits a type, like there's some serial killer, whatever. They're just, they are apparently random. Mm-hmm. Um, what we sort of discover later is that what Bill Paxton is seeing is he doesn't see the person transmute into some sort of a demon. He sees the crimes that the person has committed. So we we end up sort of revisiting his laying hands on the nurse's forehead and sees that she's killed someone slit someone's throat right and um the the old guy from the parking lot that they get is a pedophile who abducts kids you know horrible stuff but there's mm-hmm. nothing that they never appear there's no supernatural they never appear inhuman right they've just done horrible things and I, I'm just guess I'm trying to milk this out as long as I can. But so the twist that we get to at the end is it's McConaughey reveal, reveals he is not the older brother who doubted. He is the younger brother who believed mm-hmm. that he um, he did see it all along. And he's come to the uh, FBI agent with an ulterior motive, I'll show you where the bodies are. And he takes him to the Rose Garden where all the bodies are because the FBI agent is also a demon and he's brought him there to kill him. And he lays hands on him and he's, he's murdered his mother. And uh, the FBI agent says, how did you know? You know, (laughs) and it ends, it ends with McConaughey is a, is a small town sheriff or something. And and the craziest thing about this movie is after watching a man and his, include his kids and butchering a series of people, you know, with an ax and punishing his older son, like God, the angel told me you're a demon, but I can't bring myself to kill you. So I'm going to lock you in a, in a subterranean basement for days and days and days until you have a vision, until you see the truth. I mean, Old Testament stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and it turns out that we also discover that the older brother apparently was a demon and McConaughey, we see McConaughey go to his house and kill him too. And the twist is so bonkers that all along Paxton and McConaughey, they were right. They were, the movie tells us they they are having visions directly from God. The people mm-hmm. they are killing are demons, evil, have committed, you know, so it's this sort of vigilante justice. And what you get at the end is McConaughey 
with this sort of self-satisfied, almost right out of um, Dazed and Confused, this sort of smug, like, I know right from wrong because God is showing me who the sinners are and I do what's needed to be done. To It's this crazy right-wing vision of a good guy with a gun, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it is this crazy right wing idea that, you know, God will tell us who the sinners are and we can't wait for the courts and the Jew lawyers to like double talk us out of justice. You just need to take it into your own hands and destroy the demons. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, my mind went, I just, <clears throat> And it made me wonder. And then I thought of Big Love and I thought, is Bill Paxton like a religious nut? Is he one of these guys that like believes in the literal God that talks to people like it's a dude with a beard who's like, you must kill the grocer now. I mean, mm-hmm. what? What? I mean, the message of this movie, and I know it's trying to do an M. Night Shyamalan twist at the end. It's like, oh, it was no, it was real. But when you when you take a step back and you look at so so what is this thing telling us the reality of this movie is is that there is demons and the devil and god and god talks to us and there are angels and all of that's literal and real and people who do evil things it's not complicated they're not human they're demons that's who does bad stuff demons and you're not killing them you're destroying them and you know those of us who feel like we know the difference and you're right because it's just insane. Mm-hmm. Am I overreacting to this? No, no. So I, I had some of the same thoughts as you uh, throughout the film prior to getting to the ending. So I thought, so one thing that I like about this movie is, and I know I've talked about this before on the show, there is a big trope that's developed in the last couple of decades. Um, that has just been used so many times in thriller type movies and horror movies where there's a monster or a demon or there's a killer or whatever. And, you know, we find out at the end that the main character, it's all in their head. They're crazy. And so this is kind of the flip of this. Right. Yeah. Because throughout it, you think, oh, this guy is crazy. And then at the end, you realize no, you know, he wasn't crazy. He was, this, this was all real. Um, but up until the end and you find out that he, you know, these demons are apparently real. I was thinking really along the lines of you that this movie is probably more relevant today than it, than it was 20 years ago, because, you know, it just feels like, um, our society has just gotten so much more insane since, you know, you, you, you kind of think back a little bit at like 2001. Now we would, I don't know if this would have been before or after nine 11 when this was released, but you know, you, 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 the, the early two thousands are almost kind of an idyllic period in a way compared to what we have now, because you have, you know, this was making me think of, like the Q type people were, I mean, you can, in 2001 watching this movie, it, I I think probably sitting in the theater, I was thinking, yeah, this is kind of far-fetched that somebody would just, you know, do these killings. Uh, Not like it's impossible, but 
you've got people, you know, you have the Q type people who think that there are these satanic people that are drinking kids' blood and all this kind of stuff, you know, and if you really believe that, if you believe that's real, um, that could drive somebody to do something like this, you know, hey, I got to go and take out these demons that are killing, you know, these satanic vampires that are killing children or whatever. But I, I, as far as your question of Paxton, if he was some kind of crazy, super religious people, I don't, person i don't know um he didn't write this he was the director but but somebody else wrote it so you know maybe he just thought it was an interesting uh, premise or whatever but i don't know i like the movie uh mm. i don't agree i don't agree with the movie but i i like the movie i my quibbles with it like i liked it enough that i've got my chris ferry quibbles tm we got to start <laughs> branding but I liked it enough that I want to nitpick with it a little bit. I, I think that um, somebody who is em as emotive as Bill Paxton would have done a better job of, and I know he's a blue collar guy, he's a mechanic or whatever, and, uh, and that's telling the story. So Bill Paxton either needed to act more effectively, act less capable of being communicative or, he needed to, you know, and I, he just sort of expected his kids to take it at face value. You know, he'd be like, yeah. I know it seems crazy, but you have to believe me. And that's about as deep as it went. Right. right. It, I got, a man who loved his kids this much would really, you wouldn't just lock your son in a basement. You'd, you'd make an effort to try and make them see the truth of it somehow, you know? And I know the younger kid says he saw it too. So there's that kind of reinforcement, but the whole thing strains plausibility at the concept level. And it's good enough that it comes close enough. Like, because all along, you're just supposed to be horrified that this guy is doing this and his sons who love him are sort of dragged along with it. And it, it is really effective. It's really upsetting. Those mm -hmm. scenes. And it's not a gruesome movie. There's no, you know, he kills people with an ax but it's not they cut away. So you're not seeing right. somebody's head get split him, open you know, or something. You see him going, you don't yeah. see the act splitting someone's head open, which is back in vogue. Now I'm watching shows like the boys and, you know, there's a lot of body horror that they do with CGI. That's literally, uh, it's more like um, bone tomahawk where you just see what it looks like when a body comes apart and, that's a flavor but this is not that movie this movie yeah. is more psychological and like can you imagine how traumatizing that would be if you thought your dad was crazy but you love your dad but he was killing people you but you couldn't bring yourself to turn him in you know what i mean and, and i thought the movie is extremely effective in that regard you're still with me oh yeah yeah i'm here yeah yeah. I thought you froze. You must have thought I had frozen. I think we were yeah. both. No, I, I just thought, I, I thought it was extremely uh, <laughs> effective in that regard. And, and uh, it was just <laughs> the twist was a little unwieldy. Um, and, I, you know, I the taste it left in my mouth of like God and angels are real. I mean, I have a kind of a bias against that because I that's not how I see the universe. I don't believe sure big guy with a white beard and you know and the angels and 
demons are appearing to people. Right, and and just to be clear, so the God, the movie definitely is saying that all this is real, right? I mean, there's no uh, little wink or something at the end that but I didn't see a wink. I mean, yeah, the demons are were real, right? The whole time and they even have a thing FBI guy. And why did you come to me with this? Because you're a demon and I'm going to kill you. And I want you to basically walk with me to the place where I'm going to bury you. And they even go so far as to do a thing at the end. So in one of the flashbacks, when they, when they get this, uh, this old man from this parking lot of a, of a supermarket who, you know, turns out to be a pedophile. Um, the, the older boy is saying, Hey, what if, you know, what if a security camera sees us or whatever? He said, Oh, God will, God will make us invisible. Right. Yeah. And then at the end we see where McConaughey had, you know, had been in this FBI office. He walks into the FBI field office, right. With there's cameras and they're reviewing the cameras and his face is all like staticked out like or something. It's like, magically god so god made him invisible on camera you know yeah protected him so i mean i i think that's the i think that's the the funny thing is it's a horror movie but at the end it's like a religious propaganda film it's like no there are holy warriors walking amongst us anointed and they are small town sheriffs so it's like Yes, they pulled that guy over in a traffic stop for nothing and they shot him in the back of the head. He happened to be a black man, but it wasn't because he was black. It's like, you wouldn't understand. He was a demon, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, that's illegal. And it's like, you don't understand the ways of God. (laughs) It's just, it's, I mean, in its own way, that's horrifying, but I don't think the film is going for that third layer of like, because the film establishes in the universe of the film that that is real. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's hard to tell. I, I I should probably read some more about, you know, I don't think this film got enough attention that too many people care. Uh, but I I wonder if there was a real agenda behind this or if it was just like, oh, this will make a neat twist. Well, you know? I have nothing against religion or faith. Mm hmm. I, you know, I have my beliefs and I respect other people's rights to have their beliefs 100%. Um, I think what I find a little bit and why I think this is so uh, chimes with this day and age is the concept of rule of law, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we have, uh, imperfect though it may be, we are trying to have a democracy that operates under the rule of law in which everybody has a dispassionate hearing. You look at evidence, right? And in, in this movie is like, well, no, God will tell certain people who the bad people are, and then they will kill those people or destroy those demons mm-hmm. because that's God's plan. And the rest of us just need to accept that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, you don't. <laughs> I mean, that's like, am I a demon because I'm not seeing visions or is God just not chosen me to be one of his holy warriors? Like that's incredibly exclusive. Right. Uh, and, and I do feel like there's a lot of that going around these days. And I certainly don't think that some of the people, <laughs> you know, claiming impunity are, you know, are actual believers themselves, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, you wouldn't understand it because you know, God hasn't told you the truth. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, like I say, I think if this film were released now, 
I don't know if like dangerous is the right word, uh, but I, I think it would be much more relevant to what's happening in the world today where it just, it seems like a, because you and I look at this and they're just like, you know, it's, uh, it still comes off as really crazy, but maybe there would be people that would watch this and think, oh yeah, that seems okay. They're killing the demons, you know? Yeah. It'd be like, right. Of course that's validation. Yeah. And I don't know that 20 years ago there were, it seemed like those people were more in the fringe and you know what I mean? Well, we didn't, we, 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 we didn't have half of our government, you know, sort of positing that that kind of thinking was somehow a legitimate right um, interpretation of, and our- we didn't have social media where people can get together on these kind of ideas and, you know, help to spread, to spread them. But uh, this movie, now these movies, as I recall, are, I don't think there's, you could say there's a message to them necessarily, but, uh, and it's been a long time since I've seen these, but have you seen any of the prophecy movies with um, Christopher Walken? Yes, but it's been a long time. I'm not sure that I could... He's actually the villain, right? Isn't he? The... He's a villain. I think he's a fallen angel, as I remember it. But it's a whole thing about it's a little more fantasy than than what this is. And that it's kind of this battle between the angel and angels and the demons. And they're coming down to earth and stuff. Or it's bad angels versus good angels or something. Um, I think I saw some of it a while ago, but I don't remember. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of playing around a little bit with some of this idea, but it's much more, they're, it's, they're not really what I would think of as they're not presenting a religious view other than just angels are real, you know, but it's not, uh, right. This kind of a presentation, but we did con air not too long ago. And I watched a YouTube thing on a couple of people. It's funny breaking down con air, but they're like, Oh, this is a right-wing screed, really. When you look at Con Air, that each of these villains represents some liberal aspect of um, society, and that the Nick Cage character represents the sort of righteous, God-fearing military, and on and on and on. They really peel the layers away, and and uh, and they go into how that's Michael Bay, right? think so yeah how how you know the director is this right-wing nut job and and how this movie is is when you look at it in that context it's a thinly veiled like each of this was cyrus the virus and they they really it's funny but they really go into like oh you know and and then it's two movie reviewers who started like oh con air's awesome and by the end they're like oh con air is this depressing <laughs> Creed, <laughs> you know it it's interesting that you bring that up and we're we're a little far flung from from this but uh i think it's relevant to what you're talking about there i saw the new top gun this week oh did you? um yeah and was not so i went with family and it, they were like i was like i don't know how you feel but i was never a fan of the original top gun i haven't uh, seen it in so long i remember it was it, you know it was adrenaline and it was entertaining those jets flying around so i watched a little of uh the original 
it's it, I, it had been a long, long time since I had seen it. I think probably I saw it when 20- it came out. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it when it came out and maybe saw it a couple times after or whatever. It's hard to watch now. It's really? it just seems stuff seems really fake and it's it's very corny. But anyway, so I went with, you know, they're just like, hey, we're gonna go see Top Gun, you know, good. And I was like, okay. And so I went in, you know, not excited about it at all. And uh it's it's really well done for what it is. The new one, the and I read like there's no CGI in it or very, very little CGI, you know, it's all flying and everything and um uh you know it's 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 a fun uh popcorn movie or whatever tom cruise is very good that's one thing about tom cruise no matter what you think of him he generally doesn't do poor films you know you go and look through his filmography and delivers yeah he delivers on everything star and and whatever else you say about the guy or his choices or scientology his personal life but 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 as a movie star it's hard to argue that tom cruise does not pretty consistently deliver right and he's very good at you know picking the right the right films you know and and they they do a it's enough homage to the original without it being a reboot, you know, too, too hokey, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the younger people in it are all good and everything. So all around, um, uh, it, it's just really well done, you know, for what it is. It's not, I'm probably not going to watch it again, uh, anytime, but I heard, it, I heard that it's a better movie than the original one. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely just based on, you know, I caught a little bit of the original, watched like 20 minutes of it or something. I was just, this is like almost unwatchable. And by comparison, you definitely don't want to watch them back to back because the watch this, the new one is like the original. It's so clear when they're using green screens or blue screens or whatever, you know, they use. I don't, but but at any rate, so we watched it in Marietta, Ohio. So very middle America kind of place on a Tuesday and it was packed and, you know, it's, I saw this this week. So it's already been out two or three weeks or something like that. And so just a very middle America audience, you know, older people, younger people, they're laughing at jokes that I didn't think were funny, particularly, you know, and, uh, but there's a meme, uh, it's not really a meme. It was just somebody's tweet that has become a meme now. And they said, it says, uh, uh, you know, Top Gun's the number one movie in the box office. And I don't know if you know or not, uh, this may be a minor spoiler on Stranger Things that they use the, uh, uh, is it Kate Bush uh, running up that hill song? And now that's like the number one song any of that is crazy yeah and they're like top gun is number one song and you know kate bush has the number or you know top gun's the number one movie and kate bush has the the number one song and and uh you know we're enemies with russia and all this stuff is it you know is reagan back in office again or whatever but so it just got me thinking like you have the uh, i read that i don't know if this was true or not but this was just some little blurb that i saw that matthew modine was the original choice to play Maverick in the in the original Top Gun. And he turned it down 
because he supposedly because he said this this is just an advertisement for the military um and you know he did uh full metal jacket which is an, an anti-war movie yeah um and you know watching this new top gun it's and i'm sure it's you know they're going to use it as recruiting material you know for the navy because it you know it makes it look really exciting and oh that'd be fun you know to be a fighter pilot but i just i was kind of struck by that where it's like this is a a clearly kind of a right-wing film and i bet a lot of those people that i was sitting in the audience with are probably people who haven't been to a movie in a long time yeah you know it's like oh it's just liberal hollywood you know but this is you know tom cruise is a weirdo but he loves America or whatever, you know what I mean? It just, I don't know what you think about that, but it just struck me as this is very much a right-wing framing, you know, and it, is it a coincidence that this is the number, you know, and it's making a gazillion dollars. Right. And we're just having all this kind of conservative movement of, of everything, it seems like in our society, you yeah, know? I don't know. I mean, with Ukraine and everything else going on, it, the military will tell you, hey, we live in a world with walls and those walls are protected by men with guns, right? Mm -hmm. You you know, who's going to do it? You, you liberal milksop, you know, you get to sit around and criticize, you know, the men and women who are keeping you safe because there's bad guys out there and they're, you know, we're never going to eliminate war. We're never going to, you know, and maybe, I mean, I don't pretend to be an expert, I, I you know, maybe that's true i certainly know that the human species is always going to be jealous of what the, the person next door has right and the grass is always going to be greener there's always going to be haves and have nots i don't believe we could ever get to a utopian society where everything is true now where everyone's needs are truly met and even if we were there'd be some people that feel they need to have more and those that would be exploited and you know that's just that's human nature that's our fatal flaw so Maybe the end result of that is that there will always be conflict. And at a national scale, that requires a military. But we have the most bonkers military on the planet. I mean, mm -hmm. the numbers are insane. And I can't quote you what it actually is, but it's something like we spend more on our military than the next. Oh, yeah. X. The, most, re the most recent budget is about 750 billion, you know. It, it's, you know, so, and, and, it's not just the military, but any any organization will tell you this, that when you get an increase in budget, you you do what you have to do to justify it, right? You mm -hmm. can't let the budget go down. You can't be like, oh, well, we didn't, we got a million dollars last year, but we didn't spend it all. So we can do with 750, you know, you need to figure out a way to make, keep it at least a million for the next year or increase it somehow. And mm -hmm. uh that's true of museums and nonprofits and everything else, because we are a capitalist society and it's profit driven. So you, the budget needs to constantly be going up and up. And I mean, I, there's a part of me that feels like, you know, when, when one war winds down, we got to find another war to start because we got yeah. this military money, man, you know, North Korea fired some missiles and South Korea and we fired some missiles. I bet those missiles cost, tens of millions of dollars each we fired eight missiles like did we just fire a hundred million dollars into the ocean as a as saber rattling to be like we still have missile too they know we have missiles <laughs> i mean you just shot it into the ocean did you hit a reef by any chance was that 
I just, I think it's insane that we swallow this. Like, well, that's how it has to be. I'm like, that's how it has to be because you have the guns and the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it's entirely avoidable, but I think if people tried harder to really spend some of that money on diplomacy or equalizing, like we talk about the the border and all the people streaming north from all points south, not just Mexico, but South America, right? I think stuff is so bad there. And we're like, we need to build a wall to keep them out. And you're like, but the wall, I mean, we've seen zombie movies. <laughs> the walls don't hold. It, yeah. it might work for a month or a year or 10 years. It doesn't, when things get bad enough, people will kill themselves until there's a pile of bodies high enough to climb over the wall. Like they, it's not a solution. It's a band-aid. Right. And I don't think we'll ever see a, a point in, in our lives, definitely, where they're just going to say, well, there aren't any more wars left. There's nobody to be afraid of. So, hey, we can just cut all this. You know, we don't we don't need all this money. You know, it's it's that that expression about what how's that expression go when uh, all you have is a hammer? Everything looks like a nail. Like a um, yeah. So, you know, we're going to we're going to find uh, an enemy somewhere. But um so yeah, I don't. But with Top Gun, I don't. You know, I is the second one as much of a jingo fest as the first one was. The first one was almost. The other thing I remember the first one was how uh, homoerotic it was. Like there's a volleyball scene where so, they were like oiled up and stripped to the waist in their aviators and slapping each other in the ass, and that's great. I mean, okay, but I don't think that it realized it was like I'm like this is gay porn at this point. Like so, in this one, they pay hom- homage to that. They do a a football game on the um, on the beach, but the difference with um, with this is there are uh, there are women in the class, so it's not just all men. So you have a couple of of women on the beach too, running around, and nothing about it is. Um, you know, the guys don't have any shirts on, but the girls aren't like running around in bikinis. So it's not like it's gratuitous or anything, but, uh, but yeah, so they, they pay homage to, and they have to know that people viewed that, you know, that original volleyball scene as, as homoerotic. You know? I remember even when I watched the first film, I feel like, I'm like, I don't think this is feels self-aware to me. I think they think it's like, look at what badasses these yeah. dudes are. They're really good I, friends and they love to touch each other's butts. <laughs> In this one, they have to, they have to have known, unless they're just, they haven't paid any attention. They have to be self-aware about that. that um, but it, one of the things that's funny about it, where it, it, it doesn't have the, the, the jingoism, I guess, of the original one, because the original one, they're fighting against the Russians. In, in this one, it's, they have to take out there's a the specific, and I don't remember from the first one what they have to do, but in this one, this one is UFOs. It's UFOs, yeah. It's they have to take you. It's aliens, so they don't have to have it be a, a specific country or anything. But no, they have to. There's like a nuclear, uh, you know, build up in this place, and they have to take out this this target. They never tell you what the country is, so it's just some nondescript country that they, you know, so it's you kind of guess it's probably Russia or some other, you know, former Soviet country. What's that? Do they have Russian accents? No, you never see any of the, you know, you never, 
you never hear them speak. You never, you see them as pilots. So they've got, and they do like hand signals. But they've got the thing. So they just completely stay. And, and they're smart from the standpoint of, Hey, we can sell this to every country. And, right. and they could just be like, well, it's not, you know, in China, they can be like, well, they're not Chinese or right. you know, in Russia, they could be like, Oh, they're probably that is some smart. other country that we don't like, you know? So they're, they're smart in that regard, but yeah, it's not, you know, it's definitely, and they even do it as like, and maybe this is a message. I, I don't know. Um, because they tried, you know, when Trump was in office, one of the things was all, you know, Obama has decimated the military and, you know, the budget went up every year under, under Obama. So I don't even know if they're trying to make this, this point or not, but they keep talking about how, um, the planes that they're using to go up against this enemy, it's like their fifth generation, whatever they are. So it's just like, you know, this, this is a death mission, almost like, our planes aren't as good, you know? Uh, I mean, that just is to add to the drama. They're probably not making a right. political... Well, but it's laughable because... Right. I think our military is state-of-the-art. Is it yeah, not? Yeah, I, yeah, it has to be. Um, like, where's the money going? <laughs> yeah, they do a really cool... Again, this is corny. Uh, they do a really cool thing in the beginning where... Uh, he is flying and he just goes and kind of steals it, <laughs> but he's flying. A, it's either an SR 71 Blackbird or, or whatever, you know, kind of came after that, which is just always, I thought was a really, really cool plane. Um, but there's a part where he flies that and, you know, he breaks some record of, you know, so many G's or whatever. And I, I kept, and those aren't fighter planes, but I kept thinking this would be a lot cooler movie if they just flew around in those, you know, the F-18s or whatever it is. A pilots and being in the cockpit is, I think of the, the right stuff too. I, yeah. Nautix is, is adrenaline inducing and, and uh, having the camera. Um, that's a natural, that's a natural selling point. You, you can mm-hmm. make an exciting movie about people flying flash fast planes without the jingo yeah yeah the warmongering i mean i get a dog fight is inherently when the stakes are life and death like that but yeah but so i mean it, it i went into it grudgingly went into it and i i enjoyed it i mean i would, I would, I would like recommend it, it. I've, I've heard people say that it's actually a really fun movie and you know and they and they also keep the that plays into the the uh 80s-ness of it as well it's pretty simple it's not a they it. don't overcomplicate the story you know um which which i liked and you've got jennifer Connolly in it and you've got john ham in it and so you know it's it's well done but i love john ham but you know i think madman sort of he ruined himself sort of because I can't see John Hamm and not see Don Draper, you know, like he was so iconic in that part. And that was his big thing for so long. And he's a he's funny and he's a good actor. And he, I hear him doing voiceover stuff, but I can't he does voiceover stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's John Hamm. It's Don Draper. Like, I can't. It's so baked into it now that I. One of my favorite things ever. I don't know if I've ever sent this to you or not. But John Hamm and Adam Scott did a thing for Adult Swim. This is probably 10, 12 years old now. Uh, called, uh, it's called like the greatest event in television history or something like that. And they did a shot for shot 
remake of the opening credits of uh, Simon and Simon. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them as the Simon and Simon characters. Like so that. I'll send it to you because it's awesome. But you can watch just the just the opening credits thing. But they also did a it's like a mockumentary, basically. But they did like a 30 minute making of of them filming it and everything. And like John Hamm gets mad at Adam Scott throughout it. And it it's really, really great. I mean, John Hamm is a great comedic actor. You know, I remember when he was on Saturday at Live, you know, several years ago now, probably I'm like, he's funnier than a lot of the cast. Yeah. Like they ought to just go ahead and put him on the cast because he's stealing the show again and again. He's a super talented guy. Yeah. So, okay, let's double back to frailty. So kind of to wrap up, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't like the message that the movie tells at the end, but I didn't, I mean, I enjoyed watching it and I, I liked that it didn't use gore as a cheap cop out. I think it tells, a, you know, the concept of the kids getting sucked into the dad's murderous, whatever is compelling and they needed a twist. So, and the twist is it's all real, which I find that unsettling also. Um, but I mean, yeah, I would say, you know, if you've got HBO Max and you're looking for something weird uh, that's in that kind of um, wheelhouse, that 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 territory and it's got McConaughey and Bill Paxton, whom I both like, I'm checking it out, you know? I yeah, I was having watched it. I was just looking here to see. So I could I should have looked at this before, but um so Bill Paxton has five directing credits. Um, he directed an episode of Saturday Night Live, and he did some shorts. Oh wow! You remember the uh, this is from nineteen eighty? That you remember the Fish Heads song it was yeah. a Doctor Demento thing. He directed that video. Oh, I don't um, think I've seen that video. So the the only other. Uh, feature that he directed was the greatest game ever played i th- I thought maybe he might have directed some episodes of of big love but but he didn't apparently but yeah i i think it's it's one of these movies that um uh let's see what I was just looking here to see the number of uh reviews on imdb for it um so it's a 7.2 with 83,000 reviews. So I, I think this is a movie that, you know, just kind of slipped through the cracks. I don't think, I'll, you know, there's a lot of people that probably are unfamiliar with this movie. I've never seen it. Yeah. And for people who are fans of Bill Paxson, which I, I think would say both of us are. Um, and, uh, and I like Matthew McConaughey too. You know, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he had his periods there where he did some, a lot of not great stuff, but, you know, once he really got to where he was a kind of Academy award level guy, you know, he's done a lot of good things. And and I really think his acting is probably the best overall in this film, but, but yeah, I think it's a, uh, as you said, it's not a, it's more of a thriller and a mystery it's not a, you know, if, if you're not into gore, this there's not really 
you know, things are implied more than they're shown. So um, it's a movie I would recommend. I, I think it's it's a pretty good one. Yeah. So check it out. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials. Like, subscribe. Thank you for watching slash listening. This it. is our 101st episode. So we had our, uh, our, the previous one was the 100th, which was our drunk cast. That's gotten a good reception. Well, we've so. done episodes since then. We have, yeah, but I'm, I'm sorry. This is not our 100 and and one. We I just posted the 101st. I don't know what this one is. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got, I got mixed up, but uh, don't we had we had a really good reception to the the drunk cast though. Oh, good. So yeah, you you have more of an eye on that than I do. But uh, thank you all so much for joining us and uh, listening to us talk about things that we like and don't like and i guess uh oh so a quick um if you got a couple more minutes did you where are you at on the obi-wan show now did you see episode three yet so three okay so what let's talk about that real quickly there are four that already came out yet or no i've not seen that one yet so i'm only on i've only gotten three three yes four is out i haven't watched it yet Okay, so I haven't watched it either. But so, what did you think of episode three? It's weird seeing Darth Vader again, like doing stuff that isn't. I mean, I was going to say isn't canon, but I guess it's canon now. Um, I don't know. I uh, does it feel fan fictiony to you? I mean, does it feel a little bit? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Um, just because he do, he's doing stuff with a lightsaber that I don't know. I don't know how to quite put my finger on it. It it feels a little bit like, you know, you should have killed me when you had the chance. And you're just kind of like, uh, what's happening? You found, the, you found your old mentor and now you're going to t- torture him to death because of because he hurt you or i don't know it's just hard to square i think that overall lucas handled the transition from anakin to vader in an unwieldy way Mm -hmm. i think that I i never bought that anakin i never bought that transition that now he's this you know this epitome of evil I didn't feel that shift happening, right? And where did he get the British accent from? <laughs> you know, I understand the apparatus and everything would make his voice sound different, but it wouldn't change his accent. I mean, I guess you just kind of have to. And I was completely wrong. I told you an accent, but he was yeah. British, and that was the voice box. You know, <laughs> and I told you last week, and I turned out to be completely wrong. I said that James Earl Jones came back. He did not. He's retired and they used AI to piece the voice of, you know, I guess like previous recordings of James Earl Jones. Really? Yeah. It's it's a computer. It's not just a, I mean, because you can hire a voice actor that can do a flawless, you know, voice actors stand in to do ADR for stuff. Like you can't afford to get walking back on set. Like we just don't have that in the budget. We can hire a uh, voice actor Magoo over here. And I don't mean to be disparate of these people. Sure. Are amazing, but they can do uh, as such a 
passable impersonation of Walken that you get them to do the lines as Walken and the audience won't doesn't know the difference. And you can't tell me that there aren't people that can do a flawless James Earl Jones. I, I've seen footage of people doing yeah. impersonations of James Earl Jones and you could get them for pennies on the dollar compared to pay, even compared to having a computer like a deep fake program doing it. Yeah, I guess they still had had to, you know, and he's in the credits. I guess they still had to pay James Earl Jones because it's his voice. But they use and I saw a so I read an article about that. And then I saw an interview with um, they they either have to get him back or they have to use existing footage that they already own of his voice. And that's right. the program to interpolate that. OK, yeah, I saw an interview with uh, Ewan McGregor from one of the newer star Wars movies, you know, with Ray and all of that. And there's a part where, um, Obi-Wan speaks to her. You just hear the voice. There's no ghost or anything. And you and McGregor said that they took some of Alec Guinness and some of him and combined it together. Um, you know, to do that. Well, the guy who does, uh, I've seen a voiceover thing of the guy who does, you didn't watch the animated Clone Wars series, right? But I saw an episode or two, but that's it. Yeah. Juan is in that. And the voice actor who is a very established, well-known guy. Um, there's a documentary about voice work that I think is really good. Uh, I'll have to look it up offline and send it to you because I'm spacing exactly on what's, I think it's called like, I know that voice or maybe I'm, I, I don't know. I don't remember what it's called. Um but it's an interview with him. And he's talking about getting hired by Disney to be the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm -hmm. And they had already had, these came out after the prequels were released. So you've got, of course, Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan. And, and then you've also got um, Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. And they, they said, basically, you, you know, you're the genius. You do whatever you want with it. He said, do you want me to do an impersonation of one or the other guy? And they're like, no, no, we want you to just do your own thing. And so what he did was literally split the difference. And he, he illustrates it. It's the neatest thing. You know, he, he says, you know, so you've got Alec Guinness. And these are the droids they're looking for. And it's a perfect, you know, Alec mm -hmm. you know, where you got the, the UN Ogrevis. Got a bad feeling about this you know he does both voices and you're like whoa and then so then the, then if you've seen the show then he says so i just sort of met them halfway and he starts talking like the obi-wan he does in the show and you really hear him having done both how he just like a computer program just would find something in the middle that evokes both simultaneously and, mm -hmm. and he's like i didn't get too creative with it i just found somewhere right in the middle <laughs> And you're like, that's crazy that you can yeah. do that. But I guess and, we have programs that do it now too. Huh? And it seems like that would, to to just get a good voice actor to come in and just do it, would I would think would have to be easier than using, you know, going and finding, oh, here's where he said, you know. Yeah, but if you, but if, if he's, if James Earl Jones is tied to that, performance then that might be quite then you probably are paying you're buying james you know you're having to buy him out of his or you have to pay him some point like, yeah maybe i don't know but it i in watching it it didn't time on my ears is like well this doesn't sound like darth vader no writing it sounds just like him coming through the because you put voice modulation on it and it'll, mm -hmm. you know all that sounds the same 
Um, it's just more like watching him walking around and why is he chasing Obi-Wan? And I guess maybe it's just because we have it, it. It feels very strange because to me, because we have, you know, the, the footage of Darth Vader that we've seen our entire lives, you know what I mean? And it's like, this is how he moves and this is what he does. And then you see that because it, you know, the, the suit is perfect and everything, you know, everything just looks exactly right. But it's just there's something weird about the the original Darth Vader from the first three films is. And this was just the performance of the guy. He's he's fairly stiff and he's he's fairly low energy. Right. Mm-hmm. Darth Vader doesn't run. Darth Vader at the most Darth Vader strides, you know, sort of stalking down the hallway with that cape billowing and that you know that breathing happening but in the stuff we've seen since he's much more vital right at the end of was it a a rogue one Rogue one he's flashing and hacking and there's just such a vehemence to him that we've never seen before we've seen him lift a guy up by the throat and we've seen him choke people with his mind and we've seen him have uh, sword fights, but there's an economy to Vader that, yeah, there's an economy to Vader that that, that seems gone in this new Vader. And much of that had to do with the the limitations of what they because it was just a guy walking around in a suit. Fine, you know. I mean, you can say, well, because because uh, okay, but you you built a character, and now. Now we're revisiting this character and it feels like fan fiction to me in part because it's like, well, we we wish, you know, that this was the way it was. I'm like, I get it, but you're rewriting the character because and it's a little bit like something that we're changing now. It's a little bit like the Yoda that we got in the the prequels. And I know it was like, well, he's younger, you know, uh, and all of that. But where we have Yoda, you know, we've always seen Yoda just kind of move, you know, just barely moves. And then he's jumping around and flipping and stuff, you know, and it just seems so weird. Like the big rock solo. I'm like, no, that's a different character. You've Mm -hmm. changed the character. Why don't you make it exciting and flashy and and awe-inspiring and stay within the character that, you know, you already established with Frank Oz and a puppet? Yeah. Why do you got to, why do you have to change the character? They're like, oh, but the audience is going to love this. Like, no, because you are changing our beloved characters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that Vader in Empire Strikes Back in the end of the film where he and, and even Return of the Jedi too, but when he and Luke are fighting, and that's still so thrilling to watch today, I think. And there's not a whole lot of to to it as far as you know. Vader doesn't move much. And sweating and 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 frantically scrambling, and Vader is just always moving forward. He's just Mm -hmm. striding forward, just flicking that saber around like a pro tennis guy. Yeah, super tennis pros don't run all over the court. I mean, nowadays it's very athletic, but Mm -hmm. the best tennis players put the ball. They make you run. They put the ball where you're not. Right. And you hit the ball back and they anticipate it and they're already there and they can just kind of whack it back at you without having to like sprint all over the court. And that was Vader is like Vader didn't need to scramble around. Vader was one step ahead of you. And when you knew where you were out of reach, he used his mind to pull like a building down on you. He didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, and there wasn't any like 
spectacle to it. He didn't at the end of, I mean, I enjoyed the end of Rogue One, but there was, it just felt like a different character. Yeah. It, it felt like somebody who was, <laughs> was the rage was in control of the, and Vader never seemed out of control. There was never a Vader from the original movies that seemed like he was never out of, you know, there was never a moment where he wasn't completely in control. And it's not, you know, like the, I don't want to sound like the, the comic book nerd from the Simpsons or whatever. I want to, I go into this stuff wanting to love it, yeah. you know? Um, and I feel like the but, Mandalorian delivered on that. Like I yeah. wanted to love the Mandalorian and I was delighted to find that I did. And, and I, I loved parts of, they brought I loved, some critters and things from the, but for the most part, and they brought back Boba Fett who we didn't really, you didn't get, you know, Boba Fett left you wanting more by the third one. He was dead and you didn't even see him until the second movie. And he was, yeah. Really, screen time was maybe two minutes but so it wasn't feeling like it was betraying all these characters they were just exploring parts of the world that were familiar to you but you hadn't spent any time in and i loved parts of the boba fett show too but it was kind of the stuff that i loved was when the mandalorian and baby yoda came back you know so i don't know but all right so getting the i'm getting the light okay so uh, catch us on all the socials and on YouTube. We don't know what that kind of stuff this next time, but we'll do something. Yeah, we will. We will come up with something. So alrighty. Unless you have anything else, Mm-mm. we will talk to you next week. <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs>